0: Welcome to episode 46 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I am at GregSauce on Twitter. And you can find 2QBs on Twitter at TWOQBS. And if you stop by the site, you got to check out our new draft guide. We just released it last week. This is the 2017 draft guide for 2QB and Superflex Leagues. Dedicated to the format. 170 pages. Rankings, auction values, projections, tons of awesome analysis from all sorts of great people. One of them may be on this podcast in a couple minutes. You'll see $1 from every copy sold to be donated to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. You can order it at 2QBs.com. If you use this podcast special promo code 2QBXP, you'll get 10% off your purchase. Uh, We're also giving away a copy of the draft guide for listeners. All you have to do is rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever else. Uh, Take a screenshot of your review, send it to us at 2QBs on Twitter or 2QBs at gmail.com, and I'll announce the winner on next week's episode at the end of July, uh, beginning of August. So um, one of the things in the guide, there's a 12-team Superflex mock draft, and today's guest on the show had the challenge of drafting between Pat Thorman and Sean Siegel. Not not a good place to be. Uh, Those are two really sharp dudes. Uh, he also helped contribute to the quarterback capsules that you'll find in the guide, a great resource for comparing QBs. It's my pleasure to introduce Ben Cummins at BenCumminsFF on Twitter of the FF Authority Podcast, Draft Day Consultants, the FF Ballers, RotoViz, Roto Underworld, and of course, 2QBs.com. Ben, welcome to the show.
1: Welcome back. Greg, what's up, my man? How we doing? Um, you know, it's uh, training camps are opening. Free season's about to start. Last time we saw each other. Um, and you know talked a ton of football and was in person in uh in Nashville in January during the playoffs and you know we had a nice off season but it's it's time to get back and I know you guys have been grinding and i've been trying to um do as much as I can as well and I was really honored to be a part of the uh the inaugural two quarterback superflex draft guide and um you know i've i've had the pleasure of taking a look at it already and i mean just jam packed with awesome content so um you know go get that if you haven't and I'm pumped to talk some football with you tonight.
0: Yeah man, you were talking we were talking before the we started recording and you said that you were surprised at just how big it was. I was actually surprised myself. I I knew it was going to be a really awesome resource with tons of stuff for everybody who's interested in these leagues, but at the same time like I didn't have any idea how many pages it was going to end up being, but 170 yeah. pages that all came together. And I mean, I doubt anybody's going to read every single one of those pages, but that the whole point is that there's something in there for you if you're in one of these leagues. So, so check it out. Um, exactly. I want to dive in with you, man. Let's get right to it. Uh, I want to kick it off. Let, let's go around the league, talk about some quarterback questions. And I want to start with your team. I want to start with the Broncos. Who's going to start week one under center.
1: Yeah. So I appreciate you starting with my team. It's like we've met or something. um, Everything that I feel like I've seen, it sounds like it's going to be, a, you know, it sounds like it is a very tight quarterback race. And so to me, that makes sense. You know, you have Trevor Simeon, who's the incumbent, who was competent last year. And then you have first round pick with all the necessary physical tools. But is the mental aspect of his game there as he's making a pretty big leap from a spread system at Memphis to playing at the professional level in Paxton Lynch. Because it's basically being reported as a tight race, and obviously that wasn't the case at all last season, it basically was Mark Sanchez of all players versus Simeon, and they basically you know, made it, the Broncos made it sound like that from the jump. Uh, And now it sounds like the tune is changing. I'm going with Paxton Lynch. I really do believe he's going to start week one. Um, I think Trevor Simeon was a fun story. It was fun to have a Broncos quarterback that, was actually homegrown a little bit that we could root for and wasn't just a transplant, even though Peyton Manning was amazing. But I just think Simeon's a placeholder. I think he's replaced for level quarterback at best. Um, and that's just not going to get it done. Derek Classen's done some amazing work for two quarterbacks this off season. And I really enjoyed his Paxton Lynch piece. Go check that out. If you haven't yet, he dropped it at the end of June, but he basically talked about how, Kind of what I was saying, Paxton Lynch played in a wing T offense in high school and then a spread system at Memphis. So we knew the second he was drafted that he was going to be a project, he was going to take time. Um, So, you know, him sitting and learning the NFL game as a backup last year shouldn't have come as a surprise to anybody. And obviously, you know, the offense changing with Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennison leaving and Mike McCoy coming in doesn't help Paxton Lynch's growth, but I do think it was Good that he sat on the sidelines last year, and just thinking big picture it's time to put him in because really, let's be honest, you know the Broncos are my team, I love them, but they really have no shot at winning the Super Bowl this year unless they were to somehow miraculously get like a really high upside player from the quarterback and I don't think that's going to happen, but I definitely don't see it from Simeon, who I think has a higher floor, sure, but I think Paxton Lynch as a player has the much higher ceiling. And so, again, in year two, it's time to put him out in the field and see what he's got and let him learn on the fly. you got to at some point you have to start developing him on the field. And the Broncos have to know what they have in him at some point to start making decisions in the future at the quarterback position. Because obviously, if you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you don't have a chance. And right now, I think that's unfortunately where my team, the Broncos, are at. So because the championship hopes are kind of in limbo until we figure out what's going to happen, I just don't think it makes any sense whatsoever to continue putting Paxton Lynch on the bench when he has all the upside. He has the big arm. He has the mobility. It just comes down to can he learn the offense? Can he read a defense? Can that mental part of his game catch up to the tools? And that's what we're going to have to find out. But again, I don't think preseason is going to be enough. That's where I'm at with it. Where, where
0: are you at with it, my friend? Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you. I think Paxton Lynch is going to get this job. I think that point you bring up about them changing the offense so much, or at least the, the scheme or, or the coordinators and whatnot, and the coaching staff, that's a really interesting point to make because last year, Trevor Simeon had the benefit of some continuity, right? He knew that system. He had been there for yes. a little while. Whereas last year, Lynch knew nothing of the offense. This year, they're on a level playing field in that way. And, All that stuff you you talked about is definitely accurate, especially in terms of Lynch being the guy with more potential. And that's what's important here. The Broncos know that Trevor Semien is not going to lead them to a Super Bowl, or or they have to at least think that their best shot is with somebody else. And I just think Lynch is going to get every opportunity to win this job. Even if he has to lose it for a couple games before rewinning it from Semyon, you know, I, it, it feels like one of those situations. The Broncos just have too much draft capital invested in Lynch, and I think that's the easy call, or not the easy call, but it's all the tea leaves are kind of lining up in a way that make me think that, you know, and that's that's the way that I've been drafting. Like I have Lynch ranked higher than Semyon. I forced to draft the two in a two QB league. I would take Lynch first. Uh, that's yep. just where I'm at. Um, I'm going to throw you a curveball right off the bat here. I want to do a quick aside on A.J. Derby, the Broncos' tight end, and I'm yeah. talking I'm talking myself into him as a late-round flyer, mostly because I don't believe any of the other current Broncos are viable as third receivers. I think the problem is that that offense may not be good enough to support a third receiver beyond Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, but what are your thoughts on Derby? Can he be a contributor for fantasy?
1: Yeah, I love that you bring this up. Uh, I do. I do think that he could be an interesting late round flyer. I mean, obviously, you can get him for free right now, and I think you can get him for free in Dynasty too. And he's going to be a cheap option, you know, in in daily fantasy. So he's definitely somebody that I've been uh, looking at late in drafts. I wanted to get him in the Scott Fish Bowl, and it didn't happen. Uh, but yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I was driving the uh, Virgil Green train last off season as he was making some plays in uh, in the preseason, but of course that didn't happen. Um, has been a disappointment. Jake Butt is a very good dynasty hold, but you know, he's, he's recovering from a torn ACL. So he's probably going to miss at least half the season. And then we know how rookie tight ends don't really ever produce. So AJ Derby is that guy and AJ Derby, um, is probably, you know, somebody that not even that many people are looking at at all. And, you know, one of those reasons is because he wasn't even on the Broncos for about half the year last year. They traded for him from the Patriots in the middle of the year. Um, he showed flashes in preseason with the Patriots last year. And then I know uh, Cecil Lammy, who covers the Broncos and does a lot of fantasy um, stuff himself with football guys. He's a great, great follow. Got to meet him in person at the NFL draft a couple of years ago. You know, he's been kind of talking it up a little bit because Mike McCoy coming into town supported Antonio Gates and – Hunter Henry last year, both of those guys were, were fantasy relevant at a lot of times during the season. So yeah, if there's going, let, yeah. me, let
0: me stop you on that point. How much of that do you think is him being, you know, tight end favorable with his scheme? And how much of that was just due to the fact that they lost so many receivers?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. So I mean, I just kind of wanted to bring that up because I saw Cecil tweet about that and was kind of using that um, to talk up Derby a little bit. But I totally agree. I mean, when Keenan Allen goes down and you have to um, rely on Tyro Williams, who was great, but you know he was kind of thrust into that role, and you're, you're counting on down trail in men and Travis Benjamin gets hurt, and Gates is old, and he's kind of hurt and in and out of the lineup. I mean that was a lot of a product of just what Philip Rivers was working with, and obviously Rivers is a great quarterback. He helped support that as well. So yeah, it's, it was it was definitely a product of the environment, and that's one of the reasons why I'm not nearly as high on Hunter Henry as some are because I think with Keenan Allen coming in and we'll see if Mike Williams gives anything at all. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, there's more miles, there's more miles to feed there. So, um, I, I totally, I really like that you brought that up because that's definitely a part of it. Um, but it just comes back to the fact that, yeah, I mean, Denver really hasn't had a third option. We'll see what Carlos Henderson gives them, but there's definitely a chance it could be Derby. And when you combine that with the fact that he's essentially free, you can probably get him with one of your last picks in a draft. He is definitely somebody to keep on your radar for sure.
0: Yeah, and that's something where it should show up pretty quickly in the first couple games. If he doesn't perform, you cut him. And if he does, then you have a viable tight end for fantasy, and that's pretty important. I want to shift uh, focus from the AFC West to the NFC West. Uh, talk about Carson Palmer a little bit. He's been subject to a heavy helping of Roto-World blurbs lately. Uh, you know, he threw too much last off season. He's not throwing quite as much this offseason. David Johnson says his arms look fresh and that Palmer's passes in practice led to DJ needing stitches, you know, this stuff is, you never know how much of this stuff to really buy into this early in the, the preseason, but what are your expectations for Carson Palmer in fantasy this year?
1: Yeah, so Palmer's a guy I haven't really been that interested in in early drafts, but I'm kind of starting to rethink that. I'm starting to think that might be a mistake. I mean, he is he's 37 years old, which worries me, but, you know, he did come on strong at the end of last year, and he can be had at such a value right now. I mean, he's quarterback yes. 20. And, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we're, you know, it's all about the price point. Where can you get these guys? That's why Derby is interesting because you can get them free. If you had to get them earlier, then, yeah, I'm not touching him. But it just depends on that price. And right now Palmer, you know, just like he was two years ago, is a guy that you can have late. And we saw what he did two years ago. He's quarterback 20 in MFL 10s right now. Um, And, you know, that price becomes even more palatable to me in two quarterback and super flex leagues where you can grab him grab him as a quarterback two or even a quarterback three. And, you know, the whole Palmer's body breaking down thing, I'm, I'm kind of starting to think that that's more narrative than truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of touched on it. He was quarterback eight over the final eight weeks of the season. And now, obviously, the organization's talking about, you know, putting an even more of an added focus on trying to keep his arm fresh. He has continuity with the coaching staff. He has Bruce Arians on his side. He has very good weapons, obviously, and David Johnson. Larry Fitzgerald should be fine for another year. Um, from all accounts, John Brown's healthy, and he's one of my favorite late-round wide receivers. J.J. Nelson's a guy that can provide some big plays. Jermaine Gresham even came on kind of towards the end of last year. And then I really kind of like this third-round wide receiver, Chad Williams, that they brought in. I know he's been picking up some steam. I see him contributing at some point this year. Even Pro Football Focus has Arizona's offensive line ranked 17th, which, you know, middle of the pack. It's not too bad. They they drafted two offensive linemen. They brought in Earl Watford. So uh, there's a lot to like there, and I know you've touched on the, uh, the opening schedule is nice as well.
0: Yeah, and that opening schedule is something that's becoming more important to me the more I play fantasy and the more I kind of get ready for the regular season. I'll be looking more closely at it in my next revision of the rankings uh, for the draft guide. It's getting off to a good start is so important in fantasy. If you have those strong performers early in the year, it affords you more confidence to cut the underperforming players that you have, and it means you have better players to trade if if you need to, if you need to try to find leverage in that way, you know, to to make up for any other deficiencies your roster have. Palmer starts uh, at Detroit, at Indy, then he's home for Dallas and San Francisco, and all of those are pretty favorable passing matchups, especially because Detroit, Indy, and Dallas should all, with their own offense, prompt Palmer to throw a lot. And so that's something I'll be keeping my eye on, and that's something that has me you know, treating Palmer as a guy that I'm more willing to target in drafts, especially because I like to wait at the quarterback position. Like you said, it's all about that value. You're getting him later than guys like Eli Manning, Blake Bortles, Andy Dalton. Uh, The health concern is the big thing for Palmer, right? And you touched on that age breaking down, uh, body breaking down, age aspect of his profile. I don't Know how much of it is narrative because I think we we've, we've seen that wear and tear on him at times over the past couple seasons. But the, yeah, to me, I, it comes back to Palmer just being a value. And even if he is old, even if he might get hurt during the season, I'm okay taking that risk in drafts because he has that good early schedule. If I do draft him, he's gonna perform well for me before he gets hurt, most likely. And you know, I, I can always adjust in season because that's what we have to do in fantasy every year, right?
1: Yeah, exactly right, and there's some um, other kind of latest round quarterbacks that I'm more interested in, and I'm sure you are too, and we'll touch on that in a little bit, but again, it just comes down to that price point, point. and if you do, you know, kind of target an Andy Dalton or somebody like that, but you get sniped, then I don't think that Carson Palmer is, is a terrible consolation prize.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Um, are there any other players in any position that you're targeting or avoiding based upon their schedule? It doesn't have to be early schedule, it could be the entire schedule, but a- any guys you're looking at in that regard?
1: Yeah, so that's kind of my thing is I definitely incorporate schedules in my analysis. I haven't had time to kind of do a deep dive yet, but I have looked at it, and I'm kind of more of somebody that's looking at the uh, schedule as a whole and kind of the playoff schedules, but it definitely does make sense, like you were talking about, to target good early schedules for defense quarterback and tight end because these are all positions that you know, we like to stream when we can. And so I totally agree there. Looking at the schedule kind of as a whole, it really kind of jumped out to me how kind of favorable a lot of these NFC divisions have it. Um, NFC South, you know, there's a lot of defenses that are kind of fantasy friendly in the division. The Falcons, the Saints, the Buccaneers, some of those teams are obviously going to put up a ton of points. They get the NFC North and the AFC East, which has teams like Green Bay, Chicago, Detroit, um, New England, probably going to be some high-scoring games there, especially when we're talking about playing against offenses like Atlanta, New Orleans, and then, of course, Miami and the Jets and things like that. So the NFC South really jumps out to me, um, and Carolina is a team that you know gets to play all of those defenses, Atlanta, New Orleans, Tampa Bay, in their division on top of all those other good matchups. So I kind of wanted to look at the schedule kind of just myself and break down the division's and then go check out Warren Sharp's, uh, strength of schedule rankings that he put out a little while ago. I've seen them, but I hadn't really looked at a deep dive there either. And he kind of uses Vegas projected win totals to kind of base strength of schedule. And Carolina comes out with the ninth easiest schedule according to him. I also like the NFC West and NFC North schedules. So, uh, Minnesota, uh, was one that jumped out to me and he, they have the seventh easiest schedule according to Warren Sharp. The Cardinals have the fourth easiest schedule, according to Warren Sharp. And Seattle has the second easiest schedule, according to Sharp. So those are four teams, Seattle, Carolina, Minnesota, and the Cardinals. Um, I'm kind of looking at it from a top-down team approach. But go check out those schedules on your own and just go through it. And you're going to say, yeah, I like that game. I like that game. Okay, I like players in that one. And players on all those teams, bump them up a little bit. And that's kind of just for one example, like, I've been debating Julio Jones and Odell Beckham all off season and I'm kind of starting to lean Julio and looking at the Falcons' schedule just kind of gives me the confidence to kind of put it over the top. So back to what you're talking about, schedules are part of my analysis and I kind of just use it as a piece of the puzzle and as a tiebreaker at times.
0: I love that you brought up those two divisions because here are the guys that I had listed. We didn't plan this, but I have cam Newton as one of the guys that I'm targeting based upon this. And Connor yeah. Allen, who's at fantasy underscore matrix on Twitter, just made a oh, great call. Yeah. Great case for cam on two com, And he referenced some of that scheduled data from sharp football. So go check that out. But Newton starts out the year facing San Francisco, Buffalo, new Orleans, new England, and Detroit you know wheels up let's go let's get that you brought up minnesota sam bradford starts with new orleans pittsburgh tampa bay detroit and chicago he's a guy i've been targeting like crazy in mfl 10s i I think i talked about that on a previous episode i just i keep ending up with him at the end of drafts because no one really wants him and he's a great guy to kind of fill in those gaps those bye weeks nfc west todd is on my list a guy who like you have to spend a high pick on, but I think you can do it with a little bit more confidence because he starts against Indianapolis, Washington, San Francisco, and Dallas. And then getting back to the NFC South, Jaquiz Rogers. We know that Doug Martin's going to be suspended to start the year, and Jaquiz starts with Miami, Chicago, Minnesota, and the Giants. And and we know that Minnesota and the Giants have good defenses, but at the same time, those two offenses do concern me to some extent. Like Sam Bradford, Eli Manning are not quarterbacks that I trust entirely entering the year. And it's possible that those games will remain closer than you might expect, especially because the Tampa Bay offense is better, right? So maybe they will have the opportunity to run more with Jaquiz Rogers if they can get a lead and try to, you know, hold that lead and, you know, pound him a little bit. So those are some guys that I had in my notes and all of them line up with, with the predictions you make. I love that. Let's move on to the middle tier of quarterbacks and it's just stacked, man. There are a bunch of guys who could potentially finish top 10. So, how do you personally differentiate between guys like Ben Roethlisberger, Matt Ryan, Jameis Winston, Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Phillip Rivers, Tyrod Taylor, Dak Prescott, Andy Dalton? Like these are kind of the guys that I have in my middle tier. You could extend that to a couple other players, I think, and still feel okay about it, like Blake Bortles. Or if you want to go in the high end, Mariota, Cam Newton. Where do you draw the lines? Do you, do you chop these up into smaller tiers, or do you kind of treat them all as one big, you know, clump of players?
1: Yeah, it's really hard to differentiate between these guys. And I think side note, I mean, this is obviously why two quarterback and super flex is so awesome, because it makes these conversations relevant. Whereas if it's one quarterback, it's like, oh, it doesn't really matter. I'll just take who's ever available later on, which is fine. But again, this is, you know, these are the type of conversations that are tough to have, because like you said, it really is tough to differentiate between them. And is a reason why I do advocate waiting a bit to take quarterbacks even in two quarterback and super flex leagues. Um, and I kind of, like to look at it as like an extreme approach where if I like the value or if you know I, I just I'm feeling a, a said quarterback like Aaron Rodgers or something like that, I'm gonna take them early. But if I don't get one of those guys like Rodgers, Brady Breeze, I will wait a bit and kind of let others make these tough decisions for me because they're really not that easy. And you know, to your question, I think to some extent I do kind of put them all in one big tier because there's just not really a whole lot separating these guys. Now when I am kind of trying to make these decisions some of the things I'm looking at to help me differentiate are the weapons surrounding the quarterback. Yes. So offense, yeah, that's probably my main thing. I look at offensive scheme, continuity with the coaching staff which um I probably put more weight on than some others and then the offensive line as well.
0: Yeah, so I'm very similar. I I look at all those things as well, but what I'm looking at on top of that are their schedules. Uh, their general consistency from year to year, and again, the surrounding talent, like you mentioned. Like, for example, Roethlisberger is a guy I love for his supporting cast, and so he ranks a little bit higher for me than most of these other guys. And Stafford's a guy I like for his year-to-year consistency, so he's similarly up at the top of that tier. But I'm not necessarily drafting those guys readily. There, There are a lot of times when I'm going to be letting other guys draft them, if they're going higher, and just taking whoever falls. Now, with that said, I think that other people don't necessarily apply these same filters that we do to guys like Roethlisberger and Stafford or whoever else. Sometimes the guys that you like the most are the ones who slide, and that's the perfect storm, right? You can see these, the two or three that you like from from the group sliding down to you past the guys you don't think are quite as good anyway. And that's yes. just like, t- take me to value town. That's where I want to go. Are, are there, that's exactly Are there a couple guys in that group that stand out to you by chance?
1: Oh, there definitely are. And I was going to say real quick, um, you know, you brought up Roethlisberger. I was going to say Kirk Cousins and Roethlisberger are the two guys for me, um, kind of in like that low-end quarterback one range that check those boxes for me. They have great weapons. Um, obviously, Cousins has Reed Crowder, Pryor, Doxon. He's got Jay Gruden, who um, I think is, is a big plus, and he's got a pretty good offensive line, 11th ranked by PFF. And then Roethlisberger's got hopefully Martavis is is going to stay on the field. That's be a huge plus. Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. Mike Tomlin and Todd Haley. There's a lot of continuity there and a great offensive line, third ranked by PFF. So if I'm going, you know, back end uh, quarterback one, that's where I'm looking because they have pretty fair prices at quarterback 11 and quarterback 12 right now. But then once we get all the way down to value town, like you're talking about, I love me some Philip Rivers. He's my favorite kind of latest round quarterback. And then I love Andy Dalton and Tyrod Taylor as well. And I know these are kind of the three that Everybody's on, but I'm right on board with it. Um, Love all their prices. And it's kind of similar for Rivers. I mean, Rivers, again, I said weapons are my favorite thing. Keenan Allen's coming back. Tyrell Williams was great last year. Travis Benjamin, Donchell Inman are there for depth. Antonio Gates is back for one more year. Hunter Henry showed as a rookie. Melvin Gordon is solid. Um, And we'll see if Mike Williams can provide anything. Uh, If not, the weapons are still pretty much there. They upgraded the offensive line a little bit in the offseason. Bringing in two offensive linemen in the first three rounds of the draft, they brought in Russell Okung. We'll see if he can provide anything. He wasn't that great for Denver last year, but just another addition. And Ken Whisenhunt stayed on as the offensive coordinator, so he's my favorite. But then, you know, he I believe is the most expensive of the three. And then we get to Andy Dalton, who just perennially is underrated. He has a top five season on his resume. He's got AJ Green. Hopefully Tyler Eifert's healthy. Reports are he's going to be ready for camp. They bring in John Ross, Brandon LaFell, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, Gio Bernard. I mean, just on and on. And they have continuity in the coaching staff as well. Now, the one issue there, of course, is the offensive line. They lost a lot of pieces. But, you know, where you can get him in drafts um, makes it a lot more palatable even with the offensive line. But then, of course, you know, you got Ty Goat down there. Um, I believe the cheapest of the three, he's projected to have a healthy Sammy Watkins right now. Not as many weapons, but, of course, we know he makes up for that with his legs. And fantasy owners continue to sleep on how important it is for quarterbacks to provide rushing upside. Konami Code, shout out to Rich Rebar. So he has ranked sixth and eighth in points per game over the last two years. I forget where I heard that stat, but I think it even probably did come from Rich Rebar. So all three of those guys, I – Love getting on my team, especially where I can get him in drafts. What about you?
0: Yeah, so Roethlisberger and Stafford are the two guys I mentioned earlier, but Tyrod would be my third guy as well. He has that yearly consistency thanks to the rushing ability. Now, he has a few more question marks around him, like with that offense changing with his lack of weapons, and that's why I wouldn't necessarily rank him ahead of Roethlisberger or Matthew Stafford, but because he's cheaper than those guys, he's the guy I end up with the most often of the three. Um, Let's dive deeper into the rankings, and this is one that I I feel like is very close, but I'm starting to lean a little heavier in one direction. I think that Sam Bradford basically is the new version of Alex Smith, like a guy who didn't really put it together until later in his career for whatever reasons, and now he's in a fairly stable position with a decent enough team to be a reliable starter. Um, These are not flashy players, but between Alex Smith and Sam Bradford, which one of these guys are you drafting if you have to pick between the two?
1: Yeah, let's just hope uh, Sal doesn't listen to this uh, episode because I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you. I'm going Sam Bradford as well. I, I think you touched on it. They finished right next to each other in scoring last year, and you just look at it. You know, one of these quarterbacks doesn't have all that much job security anymore with Pat Mahomes coming in, and Alex Smith also lost a key piece in his passing game. Jeremy Macklin is gone. Where on the other side of things, Sam Bradford returns all his main weapons. Cordero Patterson wasn't that big of a difference maker and they still have Laquan Treadwell, and he has the job security. I know all the reports are Teddy Bridgewater is getting back on the field, but the injury was so gruesome. If he comes back and is the backup at some point this year, that's going to be a positive. So I lean Bradford for job security. I lean Bradford, for um the weapons that he has and i even kind of like the schedule we already touched on it we touched on palmer's schedule and and we touched on minnesota's schedule too i think that helps you know he has stefan diggs who i love he's um got adam thielen kyle rudolph was a beast last year and i believe the uh point that pat thorman made on twitter just i think today was the fact that Sam Bradford has only once in his career had the same offensive coordinator two seasons in a row, and it was a year that he got hurt very quickly. So he's just never been lucky enough to have the continuity that I've brought up already and health on his side. And, you know, hopefully that's the case this year. But if it is, that's a big boom too because, you know, if you think back and remember, Bradford joined the Vikings just right before the season last year because of the Bridgewater injury. And so you give him a full offseason to prepare to – get even more familiar with these weapons and I think we just start to pile up the reasons why it's Bradford over Smith and I feel pretty confident about it
0: yeah I'm right there with you I have a lot of the same points in my notes here and with that said there's still only one spot apart in my rankings I have him in the same tier I have Bradford just ahead of Alex Smith the, the schedule is the big differentiator for me Bradford plays a much easier one and it really just seems like the Chiefs are looking for any excuse to move on to Pat Mahomes and and I base that not just on the fact that they drafted him, but based on their other offseason moves, the fact that they let Jeremy Macklin go, like it seems like they're willingly going into a period of transition. And yes, Alex Smith will be the starter for however long, and as long as they continue to win. And, you know, with their defense and, and general, like good coaching from Andy Reed, not always the greatest coach, but, you know, generally a winning coach, I think that they could keep up that enough to maintain Alex Smith's value. But with that said, football's such a fluid game, you know, especially fantasy football. Like these roles can change uh from week to week. If they get off to a bad start, if Smith starts to get hurt or or just if the weapons don't start to deliver for him, you know, if Chris Conley and Albert Wilson don't step up for Alex Smith, then people will start calling for Pat Mahomes uh in that fan base. And so that can mean a move to him. I'm interested in the Bridgewater situation because it seems like all reports are that he won't be ready at all this year. If Bradford struggles, I wonder if that if that news or if those kind of reports that we're seeing will start to change. And if we'll start to see more pressure on Bridgewater to come back. I really just, I hope he doesn't come back too soon. It'll be an interesting situation to see play out. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Bradford's my guy. And like I said, I've been drafting him all over the place. Let's go into the realm of backup QBs. And This is something that we do need to consider in two quarterback formats. Jimmy Garoppolo is probably the highest profile guy because, you know, in the offseason we thought, oh, maybe he'd be traded. New England will try to get something for him like they did with Brian Hoyer and Ryan Mallon and whoever else. Do you like to target handcuffs in your two QB leagues? And when is the right time to draft a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo?
1: Um, I, I don't. As a general rule of thumb, I, I don't target quarterback handcuffs into quarterback and super flex leagues. Um, and mainly that's because just most leagues don't have deep enough benches. However, I do think if there was ever going to be an exception to that rule, it is Jimmy Garoppolo. So, yeah. So, for instance, I did take him as my quarterback three in the 16th round of a super flex mock draft earlier this offseason. And that's the point. I mean, you I got him in the very last round essentially free. And if something were to happen to Tom Brady, he's going to pay off most likely in a huge way. I mean, you look at it, Brady is 40. He's going to be 40 in early August. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo did show flashes and limited action last year, and he's in the Patriots system, right? And I think that that's enough for me to get excited right there, to be tied to Bill Belichick and and Josh McDaniels, and to be surrounded by all the weapons. We just talked about how we love that. Rob Gronkowski is supposedly coming back, healthy. Julian Edelman. They traded for Brandon Cooks. Malcolm Mitchell showed promise. Chris Hogan's still there. James White is a phenomenal pass catcher out of the backfield, et cetera, et cetera. And so, again, I'm just all about trying to get in front of the $100 waiver claims where if something were to happen to Brady, if they are on waivers, every single person in your two-quarterback superflex league and even probably in standard leagues are going to be fighting to get this guy. So I just look for huge upside late in drafts. And again, I just think Jimmy Garoppolo can be that exception to the rule because he only needs one thing to happen for him to potentially be a huge quarterback that pays off for you in these leagues. Now, again, it does depend on roster size and bench spots. If you only have like six, it's probably going to be tough to hold on to a guy that needs an injury. But if we're talking seven or eight bench spots, it starts to become interesting to me. And and like I said, I already did it once this offseason.
0: Yeah, my drafting style makes it so I tend to get at least three guys, three quarterbacks from the top 25 of that position. So I generally don't concern myself too much with handcuffs unless the benches, like you say, are abnormally deep. So in my home league, this is a long-running super flex league, or it's actually a 2QB league, 20 rounds of drafting, I'll definitely handcuff occasionally. But I'm more looking for the backups or the handcuffs who are likely to win the job because the starter ahead of them is playing poorly, not just for an injury like you talked about. If you're tying your hopes to just an injury, that can certainly pay off. I just don't think that's a sound strategy. You're not really embracing game theory at that point. I want to get into the Scott Fishbowl with you, Ben. We've teased it a little bit, but before we move on, I've got to take a quick break for our sponsor, PlayDraft. If you love fantasy football listeners, you've got to try out the new Best Ball Leagues on Draft. These are season-long leagues, but with no in-season management. Draft doesn't use salary caps either. I'm talking about snake drafts, just like you would play with your friends and family in home leagues. The live drafts are super quick, thanks to rapid-fire pick timers. And Draft has slow drafts if you want to take more time for your picks as well. So you can play the game any way you want, really. And once you're done drafting, uh, Play Draft takes care of all the hard work after that. You don't have to set your lineups, because your best score gets automatically selected every week. The best part is you play for real money. Leagues start at 3 bucks. So you can find a way to enjoy these leagues on pretty much any budget. You can draft anytime you want. Leagues start every couple minutes, so you can start drafting right after you sign up. Here's how you get started. Just go to playdraft.com/2qb. That's TwoqB, and you can join your first game in minutes. And here's my favorite part. For a limited time only, all new players get free entry into a best ball draft with their first deposit. But you have to use the promo code for this podcast. 2QB. That's the same as in the web address. TWOQB. So it's super simple to remember. Same thing for both. Go to playdraft.com slash 2QB and use the promo code 2QB. TWOQB. Get your first best ball draft for free. Ben, let's talk about Scott Fishbowl. Let's do it. So, so I'm a, an avid fantasy analysis consumer as well as a analysis producer. In fact, I probably don't produce as much as I should, but What that means is that I'm listening to other podcasts, too, and and I recently listened to Matt Kelly on his Roto Underworld podcast talk about how he doesn't believe the Scott Fishbowl is really applicable to people who don't play in that specific format, and I kind of inherently disagree with that. I feel that one of the ways you get better at fantasy football or any game is to play games in different ways and play different types of games so you can learn all these different angles that you can shoot from to try to attack uh, a set of rules or a format. So I kind of wanted to lead off with a big picture question about the SFB, and that is this. What lessons can we apply from Scott Fishbowl to our other leagues that have, you know, more traditional rosters and scoring? How How are you taking the lessons you learned from your draft in this weird format and applying it to more traditional or basic formats.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that, Greg. And to me, it was just kind of what you're saying. It was just another reminder, how important it is to understand the ins and outs of your leagues, um, scoring system as well as roster settings. And I think that, you know, with so much analysis out there, it's so easy to consume it and want to apply it to your leagues, But, so much analysis is general in nature because it kind of has to be, but that's not the case because we don't know what pick you have in your draft. We don't know if it is a half PPR, a full PPR, a standard, things like that. So it was just a good reminder to have to play the format that you're given. And so For me, I mean, I felt like that's exactly what I did with the Scott Fisball. I did not take my first wide receiver until round eight because the Scott Fisball scoring and roster settings favored running backs, tight ends, and quarterbacks. So by the time I took a wide receiver, I already had two quarterbacks, two tight ends, and three running backs. And again, it's just how you have to play it. If you're still playing in a standard league and you're listening to all the C-O-R-B stuff and you want to do it, that's awesome, but your league settings do not work with zero RB standard favors running backs. If you're in full PPR and you love some of these stud running backs, um, that's not necessarily a bad strategy, but we know that full PPR advocates for more wide receivers. And it depends on how many running backs and wide receivers you can start as well. What's the flex position allow you to do? Can you start more wide receivers? Can you start more running backs? Depending on the scoring settings. And so I just think that's what the major takeaway for me was that, you know, before you go draft at all, and I've been good with this, but before you go draft at all, make sure you know you're drafting for your exact format.
0: Yeah, I've got a couple here that I kind of wanted to share with you and the listeners. And the first is the Scott Fishbowl really reminded me how important it is to learn how to play the running back lottery in leagues. The SFB is, is cool because it's deep. 22-man rosters, right? And that makes us translate the you know, in-season waiver scramble for running backs into the draft. We have to try to get out in front of this stuff, like you were talking about with Jimmy Garoppolo earlier, right? These handcuffed running backs have value in the draft because the running back position is rewarded so heavily. Um, but that lesson can be applied, like how to target running backs late in drafts and how to target them on your waiver wire, is applicable to all leagues because ideally you want rushers who are playing behind older or injury prone or otherwise shaky guys on the depth chart. You want running backs and good offenses. Those guys will have more opportunity for work because their teams run more plays in the first place and because they make more trips to the red zone, which equate to more potential for goal line work, essentially. So you're also looking for running backs with that higher draft capital invested in them. Like, so I wanted to ask you a question about one of those situations in particular, the Green Bay backfield. Jamal Williams versus Aaron Jones. These guys were both drafted this year. They're, in theory, the running backs two and three in some order behind Ty Montgomery. Does draft capital make you like Williams more? Is that something that we need to pay attention to? Um, where are you at on those two guys?
1: Yeah, I do think that uh, the draft capital is playing a little bit into my analysis. And I'm not saying that's the end-all, be-all at all. And I'm not even saying that that should be the, the right call, that Williams should be the guy that, that gets the first— Crack Because when you do look at their profiles, there is a lot to like about Aaron Jones. However, for whatever reason, um, and I don't have a ton to back it up, but we're just projecting heading into training camp. And again, you know, we're going to talk about situations that we're super interested to look at. This is definitely one of them, but just for whatever reason, I think that Mike McCarthy is going to favor Jamal Williams because Aaron Jones just is a little bit more like Ty Montgomery. And even though Ty Montgomery and Jamal Williams are kind of about the same size, if you go look at it, when you watch Jamal Williams run, he just, he does look like he's a bigger back. And I think that that's going to play a factor because when you look at it last year, Green Bay had to throw a ton and they did that like going back to what we talked about with the chargers, you know, with multiple tight ends being relevant. That was circumstantial. And I think that the Packers throwing so much was also circumstantial, which sounds crazy to say because they have Aaron Rodgers, but Mike McCarthy historically has liked to be a balanced play caller and he hasn't called plays all the time, but he has a very high influence on that on that offense, and he just likes to have a balanced offense. I think Ty Montgomery's taken a step. Love Ty Montgomery this year, for sure. Um, I do think he's the guy, and I'm very high on him, but I do see Jamal Williams being involved as a change of pace back, and I can see him getting some goal line touches over Ty Montgomery, just because, again, even though they're about the same size, when you watch him run, he is a bruising runner. He looks that part, and I really do see – mccarthy playing into that so a situation we have to watch but i do see jamal williams getting the first crack and he could be relevant and he is kind of one of those backs uh that you talked about with that lesson in the scott fishbowl that i love that you brought up because it's certainly um, a strategy that i emphasize you know i took a guy like brandon oliver at the end of the draft where you know there's just not going to be enough rounds and normal drafts to take him but because I believe it was 22 rounds, I took a guy like Oliver very late just in case something happens to Melvin Gordon. And um, Jamal Williams is a guy that I think you can draft in regular leagues because I do think I see him being involved a little bit. And again, if anything happens to Ty Montgomery, we're talking about one of the best offenses in the league, quarterback to the best quarterback in the NFL.
0: Yeah, that situation between Williams and Jones is just so fascinating to me because. The draft capital tells us that Williams is the better player, but then you think about how we draft, when we draft fantasy teams, and one of the things we'll often do is we'll take a player we like less because we feel like the player we like more has a better chance to make it back to us. And so I can tell myself a story where Green Bay did that with Aaron Jones, right? They thought, well, this guy's a little less unknown or a little less known. Maybe if we take Jamal Williams now, we can get Aaron Jones later. And it's also just a hedge against themselves. The fact that they took two means that they're not sold on Jamal Williams. So I think that both of those guys have value in a deep format like this. I think that... Jones is more interesting than me, if only because he is a little bit cheaper. But they tend to go about the same point in drafts because it's such a nebulous situation. But, yeah, I can't wait to see how that one plays out. The preseason is going to tell us a lot about those two. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about with regards to the Scott Fishbowl, this is kind of a bigger picture lesson. And it's something that I think is important. Unless you're drafting with a group of complete scrubs, your roster just isn't going to be ideal at every position. You you're, you're going to have to make some sorts of sacrifices at certain positions to gain advantages at others. And that's, you know, the definition of opportunity cost. We talk about opportunity cost all the time when we talk about drafting. And even if you had like even if you had all the access to the players you really wanted like in DFS and you you're a big DFS guy, Ben, you're still likely to choose wrong. Oh, yeah. You're still likely to choose wrong in some areas based on mistakes and plain old bad luck, right? It's crazy. You need to play into that risk-reward framework to some extent. So, yes, you should aim for a team that peaks in the playoffs because you're competing against a much larger field in the Scott Fish Bowl compared to a traditional 10- or 12-team league. But you still need to make the playoffs in the first place, right? And so there's some something to be said about safety, about floor. And so you have to build some level of resiliency into your lineup. It's just a requirement for you to be competitive, for you to be competitive through the season to make the playoffs, and so if your form of risk acceptance is to punt a position outright, like you talked about with wide receiver, you probably won't even make the playoffs in the first place. I'm not saying you did this specifically, but if you were to just say, I'm not going to take any wide receivers at all. I'm just going to load up at these other positions. Like it's a crazy strategy and you know, it's not going to work, but you might look at the scoring settings and think that, Oh, maybe this does have a chance to work as a really extreme case, but you still want good players at wide receiver Even if wide receiver is the position that gains the least benefit from Scott's unique settings, everyone has to start three of those guys every week. But you can try to play both sides, right? You can try to say, okay, I do need wide receivers, yet I think I can get some value later. So you have to be able to identify those undervalued players at wide receiver in the middle rounds, and the late rounds. And a good example of that is a player that we had in common in our Scott Fishball drafts, Paul Richardson. A guy that could be the wide receiver, too or, I mean, even a just a, a competent wide receiver three on a high-powered offense. You already talked about how good that schedule is for Seattle. Richardson's one example, but because you waited a wide receiver, pick somebody else on your roster to talk about. What's another wide receiver that you think is being undervalued by fantasy drafters right now?
1: Yeah, so, and I, I mean, again, it was based on the format. So I knew not only did, I think, that running back... Quarterback and tight end were more valuable. But doing a mock draft and kind of looking at ADP, it also was obvious that wide receivers were falling down the border. Yes, very important point. Great point. Exactly. And so, yeah, I'm definitely not preaching just punt the position. And I was – you know, I ended up being – even happier with the wide receivers that I got than I thought I was going to be because starting in the eighth round, I landed Keaton Allen. I went with Willie Sneed in the ninth, and I was still able to turn around and get Julian Edelman in the 11th and Macklin in the 12th. So I started there with four guys that um, I can mix and and match, and I'm probably just going to play three at a time, ideally if my running backs and tight ends can hit just because, again, the scoring favors them. So, again, definitely not preaching – punt a position I definitely appreciate balance and I, I kind of felt lucky that I was able to actually get as much as I did but looking a little bit farther down the board um, I was able to get guys like Ted Ginn in the 16th yeah Paul Richardson loved getting him where I got him at the end of the draft on the 20th um, Sterling Shepard in the 18th and even Malcolm Mitchell in the 21st and this was an, a, another reason why I was okay going with running back quarterback and tight end earlier because it all comes down to opportunity costs. Shout out to JJ and He talks about this all the time. There are so many wide receivers right now. Not only is it so hard to jump into the top 24 because the position is so stacked, but there are guys like Paul Richardson and Malcolm Mitchell and Sterling Shepard that you can basically get for free. And yeah, all of their opportunities are a little bit limited right now, but you can tell yourself a story about any of these guys, which you just brought up with Paul Richardson. If Tyler Lockett isn't as healed from his shattered ankle as we think he is, and he doesn't come back the same player, um, and Paul Richardson returning, um, you know, a couple years removed from his torn ACL at this point, continues to get better. He showed promise in the playoffs. You can tell that story, that he is a very important piece of and a Russell Wilson led offense. And I think you can do the same thing with Malcolm Mitchell. If, you know, we talked about it, if Brady goes down, Garoppolo is very interesting. Well, if Brandon Cooks, Rob Gronkowski, or Julian Edelman go down, Mitchell becomes very interesting again, just like he was last year. And you even think to the second half of the Super Bowl, where he showed a lot of promise and a huge clutch spot for them. So have to believe that they really, really like him as a player. And he's just you know, completely off the redraft radar in regular leagues because of where he is. But if something happens to one of these players, he could be very, very interesting again. And kind of to your point where you don't love targeting guys that have to have injuries, I totally agree with that. It was just that I got Mitchell in the 21st. But you want to look at a guy like Ted Ginn – who you can have very late, same situation you talked about with the running backs. This guy is in one of the best offenses in the NFL. He's going to be on the field, kind of playing that Brandon Cooks role, stretching the field. I don't see him getting as much volume, and I don't think at this point he's getting close to 30. He might already be there. I'm not sure that he's the same player by any means, but he's going to have boom weeks. And granted, in redraft, it's somewhat hard to predict that. But when you can get a guy like that towards the end of your draft, that's somebody I'm very interested in. And and that was one of the reasons why it was easy for me to to go with the Saint stack that I think you want to talk about because his price point is so palatable.
0: Yeah, and you, you bring up a great point. All these guys you mentioned are in good offenses. And targeting those good offenses is a strategy that's rightfully gained a lot of value in recent years because teams are passing the ball more than ever. But at the same time, defenses know that, too. So offenses have to get more creative with how they pass, who they pass to. That distributes the fantasy wealth in a more broad way across more players. And so we don't see many teams like the 2015 Jets, where it's Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, and no one else catching passes. You know, That's just not how the league works anymore. There are just going to be more fantasy-relevant assets on all these teams, especially on the good teams. Um, and they're going to be more productive on a regular basis because of that. Predictability kind of quickly gets identified and game planned against on on just kind of a base level in the NFL. So that's why you're also seeing like redundancy of positions. Like you're seeing Deion Lewis and James White both playing for the Patriots. You're seeing them have Danny Amendola, Julian Edelman, and Brandon Cooks. These guys all with similar frames and some similar overlap in their skill sets because they know as a coaching staff. They have to keep defenses on their toes. They have to pass to Danny Amendola every once in a while so they can get those big plays from Brandon Cooks and whoever else. And Malcolm Mitchell's right there with you. Uh, you mentioned the stack of Saints players. You have a lot of Saints players. You have a lot of Patriots on your team. Did you enter the SFB draft with the goal in mind to target those two teams in particular?
1: Well, not necessarily, but that's just really something I've just always done in fantasy is I'm always <laughs> – and it's pretty self-explanatory, but I always boost up the, the players in these huge offenses. And, you know, I mean, with all the analysis out there, yeah, it's really easy to talk up a Quincy Nunwa and get really excited about him, especially at his price point, which is pretty palatable. But at the end of the day, he's going to be capped because the quarterback situation is not great. A guy like Malcolm Mitchell, I can get for very – very cheap and he's in the Patriots offense and that yeah, it essentially just comes down to that. I want pieces of these offenses and the Saint stack that I ended up going with in the Scott Fishbowl um, was Drew Brees in the second round. And you know, one of your questions was, did I plan on doing this? And I, I did not, I did not go in um, specifically thinking I wanted to get this Saint stack. But as soon as Drew Brees was put on my team, I started thinking about it because I ended up with pairing him with Willie Sneed, Ted Ginn, and Kobe Fleener. I got Sneed in the ninth, Fleener in the 10th, and Ginn in the 16th. And it just goes back to that fact that Michael Thomas is being drafted very, very early. But Willie Sneed's ADP, I love. I love. I want him on every single team this year. Um, Ted Ginn's, we already talked about. It's, he's, he's going so late that why not take a shot at him in this offense? And then Kobe Fleener is not a guy that I like very much um to be perfectly honest with you but I'm starting to get more interested just because again of the price it all comes down to the price
0: and opportunity
1: yeah and opportunity and in the Scott Fishbowl where Titans are are more are, are much more valuable Kobe Fleener is a guy that is interesting and it does scare me a little bit that he was starting to lose time to Josh Hill before he got injured and he's coming back but it it's it's easy to take that risk when you can get him super cheap. So it really just for that same stack, I decided because this is the Scott Fish Bowl and this isn't going to be your regular leads, right? But because I'm playing against so many people and once we get into the playoffs, I really need to beat the best of the best. I wanted to get that stack because the price points made sense. I didn't go out and reach for Ted Ginn two rounds before he should go. I let it come to me and I said, if those guys are available at the right price, I'm going to let that be a tiebreaker because I already have Drew Brees. And so that's why I ended up going that route. And the other reason was, and going back to where we started this conversation with scheduling, really at this point, I still really hadn't looked at that much with schedules. But once I got this stack thought in my mind, um, I went and looked at the Saints schedule. And if you look at weeks 13 through 16, which I believe is the four playoff weeks of the Scott Fish Bowl, the Saints have three of the four games at home. The only road game is at Atlanta, which is also in a dome. And so all four games are going to be in a dome. Um, Two of those games are against Atlanta, which should project as shootouts. And then they get the Jets, which are just going to be god-awful, and Drew Brees should be able to do whatever he wants. And they get the Panthers at home, whose secondary struggled just a little bit last year. So uh, it was the schedule that ended up putting it over over the top of it. But just kind of looking at the Saints in general, I mean – I had to write about this because under Sean Payton as coach, they have finished top five in pass attempts in nine out of 10 years. And I mean, you just don't get that historic elite volume year after year and get a large sample size in a sport like the NFL where that just continues to show up. So not only are you getting pass catchers that are going to see amazing quality of targets from Drew Brees, but you get the added volume as well. And again, some of these guys are so cheap that it makes a stack like this very easy to put together, even if you wait and don't reach.
0: Yep, and just like in DFS, where stacking is a regular occurrence because it gives you some higher variance, the Scott Fishbowl rewards that. You're playing against so many people, you need to have a highly variant strategy in some regards. So, yeah, I, I love it. I mean, the, the Breeze situation like doesn't seem like it's going to get any worse. There's a slight decline over the past couple of years, but he's still the most consistently great fantasy quarterback we've had over the past five or six years. Probably the best fantasy QB ever, if you ask me. Let's go back to the Patriots and another wide receiver you drafted. You you mentioned Malcolm Mitchell, but I also want to talk about Sterling Shepard. Both these guys are second-year players. Both of them seemingly lost value with their teams when those teams brought in bigger-name vets, like Brandon Cooks and Brandon Marshall. These guys are essentially wide receiver handcuffs. You talked about how you don't like to play into injury, but both these players flashed solid abilities last season and both were darlings of Matt Harmon's reception perceptions. So check those out. We know they can play. Why shouldn't fantasy drafters give up from, give up on these guys yet? Can you reinforce that a little bit?
1: Yeah. And it just goes back to basically my philosophy of, again, just targeting guys that even if there are some roadblocks for, elite fantasy success. Again, I can tell that story. And a guy like Sterling Shepard, it's a lot easier to tell that story because he doesn't need as much to happen for him to be successful. First of all, um, he is going to have some standalone value. And I will admit that he was a guy I definitely did not think I was going to be advocating for on any podcast when they signed Brandon Marshall. But his price has dipped so low to where he can be had again at, at such a uh, such a value that it's just worth taking a shot on because the Giants ran at least three wide receivers. Uh, I should say the Giants had at least three wide receivers on the field 97% of the time, according to Warren Sharp's amazing personnel tool. And so he's going to be on the field all the time. Now, a lot of those targets that he saw last year are going to go to Brandon Marshall, and they also brought in Evan Ingram. So, yes, he is going to see a volume dip. However, he produced last year, and he's going to be on the field, and it's just as simple as if Brandon Marshall, who is older, gets hurt, or I don't want it to happen, don't even want to bring it up, but if OBJ <laughs> – <laughs> OBJ, love OBJ, but if OBJ goes down, if either one of those guys goes down, Shepard steps right back into that wide receiver two role, Uh, which is basically what he had last year as a rookie, and he was big. I mean, he's going to blow apart his ADP if that were to happen. And, again, it just goes back to that point of I'm looking at these guys in good offenses. I still think Eli has one good year left. And just like I talked about with the Saints, it's elite volume that they have on their side. That's exactly what the Giants have as well. Under Ben McAdoo, um, he's been there for three years. They have been in the top ten in pass attempts all three years. They don't have a very good running game, so you know what offense they're going to put out there, and it's an offense that will cater to Sterling Shepard if something else happens that allows him to be much more relevant. Great stuff.
0: Um, I want to ask you about what you believe your worst pick was, but I'm going to start off with mine just so uh, I don't, I, it doesn't seem like I'm throwing you under the bus. I, I thought maybe, <laughs> it. maybe it was Emmanuel Sanders when I could have taken Martavis Bryant or, or your boy Willie Sneed. I could have invested that pick in you know one of the guys who is in a better offense, Brian or Snead, over uh, Emmanuel Sanders, but I don't know. I just wanted to lock in some of that floor to be honest, and that's why I made the decision to go with Sanders. I just wanted consistent production from my wideouts, and I want my running backs to act as like the hammer to pound out wins in the Scott Fishbowl. So I, I think the one that I really dislike the most looking back as my first pick I took Devonta Freeman in the first round and I, I don't hate the pick considering the scoring settings I was really hung up on getting a running back and a good offense and so that's why I went with the guy who plays for Atlanta right Atlanta just is coming off a historic offensive season but I'm worried that that's tainting my view of him a little bit uh, the, the guy I really wanted in that spot was Melvin Gordon he was picked right before me the difference between Gordon and Freeman is that Gordon isn't competing for touches with any other fantasy-relevant back. And don't get me wrong, I'm not like a big Tevin Coleman guy, but I'm wondering if maybe I should have taken LaShawn McCoy or Jay Ajayi instead of Freeman because that would have locked up a running back with a firmer grasp on like a workhorse role. What do you think about that decision? Just feel free to base me, man. If you think I should have taken McCoy or Ajayi, let me know. Which of those three would you have taken in that spot?
1: Uh, I would have taken McCoy. Um, Yeah, I did. I did write a little bit about this. Yeah, I definitely think there's some regression coming for Atlanta. And, you know, I think Amiko, Anthony Amiko has been on this and Evan Silva, too. You know, it's going to be chalked up to Kyle Shanahan leaving. And I don't think that that helps. But there's just natural regression to the mean coming regardless. And it's it's not that long ago that we just saw it. We saw Carolina and Cam Newton just ball out. Um, If you go look at it's it's really easy to do. Just go to Pro Football Reference, type in the team's name, and just look at the points for column. And if you do it for Carolina, 2015 was an easy outlier. And then they regressed back to about what Cam had been averaging as the quarterback for Carolina every other year. And so if you go look at Atlanta, you're going to see an extreme outlier from last year. And I just think there's a lot of natural regression to the mean coming. Now, uh, I did write about that for RotoViz, and my main point was I'm not, I'm knocking Devontae Freeman and Julio Jones really for that much at all. No, you can't. No, it's really Tevin Coleman who doesn't have that workload. That I don't really understand his ADP, but I, I'm totally fine with Freeman. Like Freeman, think he's a really good player. Um, but I have been putting some rankings together, and if choosing between the two, I would have gone with LeSean McCoy.
0: Yeah. So for me, I I think McCoy is the guy I have ranked higher, but it was one of those things where considering the format, considering the point per first down. I wanted the guy in the better offense, and that's why I went with Freeman. I'm not sure if it was the right pick. I feel now, in hindsight, that maybe it was the wrong pick, but we'll find out during the season. So now that I've kind of thrown myself out there on the line, who who do you think was your worst pick, Ben?
1: Yeah, that was enough talk for you. Let me me blast (laughs) myself a little bit here. Um, For me, it was Mitchell Trubisky, who I took in the 14th. Um, and I started very quickly looking at where other people got him, and it seemed like he was going past that point in almost every draft. And and I, I pride myself on not giving into a run at a position um, if there's a lot of value to be had in other positions. And I feel like I kind of did that. Um, and I. Mike Taglier is on, on Twitter saying he doesn't even think Trubisky sees the field this year. And, and I was kind of surprised to see some other people jump in and think that because I do firmly believe Trubisky's going to play in the second half of the year. Me too. Um, you know, I just, the Bears are going to be bad. They're going to lose. And and you have to put him out there. Uh, you know, the different situation than Paxton Lynch, who the Broncos were competing for a playoff spot. They just won the Super Bowl. Completely different situation. Exactly. So I think, yep. yeah. So I think he's going to be on the field, which is why I did that because the quarterback. Um, kind of mid of the draft run happened and I was looking at it and I was like well this is really the only guy left that I think is going to get starts for sure the other one being Pat Mahomes who we already touched on I certainly could see him getting starts but I would still bet on Smith starting all 16 if you made me choose so I went ahead and kind of bought into the run and it wasn't like there was any really studs available at any other positions at that point in the draft but I personally wanted James Conner um, and it was a decision where I decided, let me get Trubisky. Let me lock up that quarterback three. And I think I can sneak Connor through to my next pick. And it didn't happen. And I know we've already touched on, it's not great to target guys that absolutely 100% need something to happen to the starter. Uh, but I think that in this format, we've already touched on how, how much it caters to running backs. When you look at Connor in the Steelers offense, if something were to happen to Bell, suspension, uh, hold out. I don't think that happens, but suspension or injury. I think Connor can be a league winner in this format. So once he got drafted, like five picks before it got back to me, my heart sunk a little bit there. Uh, but I am starting to feel a little bit better about it. I heard Evan Silva on a podcast saying it would make a ton of sense for Pittsburgh to bring back D'Angelo Williams. And and it really does. So we'll see if that happens. And if it does, then all my James Connor love this offseason because of the High upside backup he is in, in case something happens to Bell really goes out the window, but for now, if he continues to be the backup he's been somebody that i've been targeting um, on teams where I don't own Bell because I don't really like to handcuff that much personally, but uh on teams where I don't own Bell and this was one of them, if Bell goes in goes down and my other stud running back stay healthy, then that's the story that that I think we all like to tell ourselves that you have all these studs and and you can conquer the Scott Fishbowl that way. So that was my regret. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're less worried about missing out on James Conner and more thinking that you just reached on Trubisky, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, I just – I really do see just the league winning upside if Bell goes down because of the you. offense, the offensive line and everything. And And that was part of it because if he does go down – I'm just instantly going to think back to that decision. But yeah, <laughs> part part of it is I mean, I think Trubisky starts, but part of it is just what how much upside does he have really? And I'm hoping that if I'm gonna win this league, and this just goes back to my tournament and, you know, DFS thought process, Drew Brees and Dak Prescott who are my other two quarterbacks that I drafted a lot earlier, are probably going to have to stay healthy. So to me, how many games does Trubisky even start for me? But if something does happen to one of them and I need that second quarterback to give me those guaranteed points in that super flex spot, it'll be Trubisky. But, yeah, that's my question is just how much upside does he really have in this Bears offense?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I love just looking back and trying to figure out what our mistakes were because – that's how our process gets better, right? If we're thinking about this now, Absolutely. when the season does play out, when you see did Le'Veon Bell get hurt, did James Conner ascend to become, you know, a league winning type of player, if that happens, does that affect does that make the decision you made any less correct or not? Which is why I'd rather try to diagnose these mistakes before the results come out, right? It's about process. And that's that's why I think the stuff is exactly. important. So yeah, man. Um that's all I got on the Scott Fishbowl. I got one kind of last open-ended question for you. And so you can pick whatever storyline or, or battle you want to you want to touch on. But let's look ahead to the preseason. What, what are you most interested in finding out? So I have
1: a, I have a ton written down. I cannot wait for preseason to start. Uh, obviously, uh, I've been driving the Mike Gillisley train all year. And I want to see all offseason, I should say. And I want to see the usage for those first-team running backs. Does Deion Lewis get cut? Or is he going to be part of – the committee there. So uh, really interested to see that because I really think Gillis Lee has a ton of upside, like what I was talking about with Connor in a, in, in the Patriots offense that we've already touched on where he could score a ton of touchdowns. And he could be huge. So that's the one I'm interested in. What about you?
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, the two QB guy, it's the relevant quarterback battles, you know, those low end starters Definitely. on the Broncos, the jets, the Browns, the Texans, they're so important in two quarterback formats. And I just can't wait to see how those players perform in the actual preseason games. Cause they're the only ones who are going to be, actively doing anything meaningful in hopes of a job so it'll be interesting to see who the teams choose to go with in week one and that that's the the thing that I'm looking at the most do you have any quick fire predictions on those we already touched on Paxton Lynch but how about uh, Jets Browns Texans just give me three names
1: Uh, Watson starts week one Uh, Kaiser takes over in the middle of the year and I pray McCown stays healthy because I like McCown
0: all right fair enough well Thanks, Ben. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, it's been awesome having you. We'll, we'll get you back on soon. Uh, listeners, you can find Ben at BenCumminsFF on Twitter. Uh, ben, why don't you tell them where else they can find your work?
1: Yeah, so I've been putting some stuff out on Rotoviz uh, lately. Uh, obviously, two quarterbacks and fantasy footballers as well, starting a DFS podcast with Mike Wright and Chris Meany. We already recorded the first episode, um, but we're going to build a couple shows up and drop them in a couple weeks, So, so look for that. As well. And I'm also part of Draft Day Consultants. So um, if you want to work with me, go ahead and uh, let Denny know.
0: Yeah, I'm actually a consultant there as well. That's DraftDayConsultants.com. Um, if you want to work with someone specific, you can request that. If you want to just work with any of the awesome you know, analysts that, that we have there on the team, definitely hit that up and find somebody to help you win your league. Uh, Some housekeeping stuff to shut down the show here. If you have questions, send them to at 2QBs on Twitter or 2QBs at gmail.com. And in both cases, you spell it out, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Remember to rate and review the podcast. If you screenshot that review and send it to us, um, you'll have a chance to win a free copy of the 2017 2QB draft guide. I'll announce that on next week's episode. And, You can always just cut to the chase. Uh, If you want to buy the draft guide outright, uh, go to 2QBs.com. The link is front and center. Uh, Remember to use the promo code 2QBXP, and that's the numeral 2, and then the letters QBXP, and you'll get 10% off the guide. So good way to support the site and all the writers who contributed to it. Finally, thanks to our sponsor, PlayDraft. Again, PlayDraft.com slash 2QB, and the promo code is 2QB. That's T-W-O-Q-B for free entry into a best ball draft with your first deposit. We might have to sort out all these two QB iterations with the number, with the letters, with the S at the end or what, but maybe we're failing you guys. I'm not sure. What do you think, Ben?
1: Yeah, we can maybe try to explain it a little bit better. I I think (laughs) you're doing – I think you're doing a good job, though, Greg. I think you're doing a good
0: job. If you have any questions, all this stuff is always in the show notes, so you can look at those to figure out where you need to go to get your discounts and get your free best ball and all that stuff. So thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time. Got another great guest lined up for next week. Until then, adios.